want to talk to you tonight uh, just to encourage you about what's been in my heart. I'll give you a couple of things we've talked about, and I want to just jump right into it. We've said revival is an expectation of position that when we belong to God, God is trying to revive those that belong to Him. And that when we've been revived, the world is revived. And this is one of the things we said last week. The display, revival is the display of resurrection reality in the followers of Jesus so that the world can know God. So when we say the word revival, we would do ourselves a favor to not be thinking about what's happening in Douglasville, but to more what's happening in me. Because when resurrection power is in me, guess what happens around me? The world changes. My 50 feet changes. When resurrection reality is happening on the inside of Mark, then everybody around Mark begins to feel the effects of that. So if I want to destroy what God wants to do, I don't make sinners more sinful because I've, I've made this comment before, the greatest sin ever of all humanity was eating a piece of fruit. And there's never been a greater sin than that. So the issue is not more darkness in the world. And we may even be saying things like it feels so dark today in our world. Our world is so dark. It's so evil. And I understand what we mean. The outworking, the display of evil feels dark. But it's no more evil today than it was when they bit the fruit because darkness took over. And darkness is always dark. And now it can display itself in powerful ways. But when we talk about revival, what I'm really trying to hammer home is it's an awakening of us. It's us waking up to who Jesus Christ is in us. And when God's people wake up, what I read is that when the righteousness are out working, the city rejoices. So if we're living in a city not rejoicing, it's not the devil's fault. It's the righteousness of God is not on display and doing what we could be doing to bring about uh, the life and the light of God. This I'm going to leave on the board or the TV and let you fill it in. It's the same thing every week, but I want you to fill it in systematically to where it really gets into your heart of what it all is and what it means to be revival. And what I've been teaching is that revival has everything to do with the church, the attitude of the people in the church, and then the attitude of those people in the church going out into the culture of the world into our 50 feet and representing the life of the church. And the life are those things that are happening on the inside. It's about a new government. It's about new expectations, new purpose and results. And then the four things we've been talking about the church is it's a kingdom, it's freedom, it's family, and it leads us to a father. Now specifically tonight, I'll leave that there and let you fill it in and look at it. But let me talk about this a minute. In this issue called Revival, in February, we're launching a Saturday evening 515 service. And it's not just to put more, you know, butts in the seat, so to speak. But it's because I genuinely believe that there's a prophetic call on mine and Robin's life on this corner. And I feel to be obedient to it. Because after I preach on Sunday or Wednesday and go home and lay down, it would be easy to go, well, I did my job. I preached. I visited people in the hospital. And I prayed for people. And I try to bring good sermons and good material to you to show myself that I've studied to make it meaningful. But at the end of the day, when I lay my head down, that's not why I felt I was to come here. 
Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but you can preach Jesus anywhere. I, I'll preach Jesus in a fire department. It doesn't matter. Uh, so, but I do enjoy this. I enjoy a church sitting and teaching people. But even if I were not here on the stage, I would still teach the Bible. I would just invite people to my house, wherever I could find. I would meet people in coffee shops and because this is what I love to do. But specifically for us, in February, I was digging through some old Facebook stuff a few days ago. And in February of 2012, on the 28th of February, it was the last day of February, I logged into Facebook and created a Facebook page called Freedom Church. You can still go see it and log into it. It has no friends or anybody. <laughs> Had a beautiful picture of Atlanta on it. And Robin and I were set to move to Carrollton, Georgia. We had 36 acres of land there and a church building, and we were going to move to Carrollton, and we were going to pastor Freedom Church. I had a lot of dreams and visions for it. I was very passionate. I love entrepreneurial thinking. I like starting from scratch and building something. And along about March, a couple of weeks later, after launching Freedom Church and getting the website together, I felt the Lord say, you're not going to Carrollton, you're going to Douglasville. I shared that with Robin, and she said, I'm not going to Douglasville. And I said, I'm not either. <laughs> I said, so we need to go talk to God and ask God what God wants to do. Mom and dad are happy there, and uh, they don't need us, and so they're doing a great thing. And they got plenty of people there, they're doing what they do. I want to do what I feel do, and I still felt again. Mark, I want you to go to Douglasville. And I want you to go because I have an assignment for you. And the assignment on your life is that you're going to reap the seeds of your mother and father. Well, as soon as I heard that, I felt a resonating yes. I felt that that was what I was supposed to do with my life. I immediately backed off of Freedom Church and I talked with dad about it. We ended up selling the land to another church, selling the building to another church. And Robin and I, in 2012 of June, shortly a few months after Freedom Church was in my mind, we moved to Douglasville. But the move to Douglasville wasn't just to pastor a church. It was that there was something prophetic on this property. There was something beyond a moment that God wanted to do. There was something beyond just filling this room up. There was something beyond just preaching sermons and having worship. And it was a calling on my life that I'm sending you there to, to build something to reap the seeds that your mother and father had planted. Well, when I moved here, I'm thinking Douglasville. They've been here 20 plus years, so there's probably a lot of seed. And we were still facing, everybody remember that we're here, we were facing this way. Well, we were all facing this way with the roof caving in and I'm praying about it, and I'm just praying, about, okay, God, I've come here to reap the seeds. I don't know what that looks like. And I felt the Lord, this, is, this will go into where I want to go tonight. I felt the Lord said, you're thinking too small. And now that, to me, if you ask Robin, is a challenge because I don't ever think I think small. If anything, I'm, I'm running full throttle, moving as fast as I can. I don't like thinking small. I have the mentality I can take the world. 
I like that thinking. And so when I hear in my heart, you're thinking too small, I slowed down and said, well, then God, talk to my heart and tell me. And he said, you're thinking seeds of Douglasville. I'm thinking seeds of the world. I'm thinking seeds from the north, the south, the east, and the west, from Canada to Key West, and from New York to San Francisco, to Europe, to Africa. I have a plan of where I'm going to use this property to cause my kingdom and my glory to be known, and I'm going to send you the seeds, and I need you to train them. I need you to disciple them, and I'll send the seeds. So that resonated the first year I was here, and here sits a lot of effort over the last 10 years. But as we sit here with two services, primarily both full, about 100 people coming on Wednesday night, and life is good, I guess I could say honestly that I could go home and lay down and be a happy man. I love you. I love what I do. I have no desire to do anything else. I've often said to God, I hope he leaves me here until it's time for me to go home because I genuinely love this. I love the church. I love us. I love family. And so I could go home and lay down and go, I'm happy. And I've had that thought. I've had the thought, I like my uh, pawn shop downstairs, a.k.a. my office. Uh, I like my friends. I like my life. I love seeing you on Sunday. But if I'm honest with you, I have to say that there is there's an element of my mind that says, but there's a prophetic reason, Mark. You have to prepare to get ready for the seed. And so in that begin conversations of, okay, well, we've got to be ready for the seed. And how many of you know, if you have more animals coming to the barn, you need more farmhands. If you have more seed to be planted, you need bigger tractors. And it became evident that it would be very difficult for God to send the seeds to a place we weren't ready. And we begin to have conversations of what does being ready look like? What, what, and it can't just be preach a sermon because we can preach sermons and still not be ready. So God, if, if seeds are coming and we want to be ready, then what is it? And the Lord began to prompt in our heart, I want you to begin to find the people that are ready to lead. I want you to find the people that are passionate to let me use them for my glory. And so I start thinking, okay, well, who are they? And he said, don't worry, I'll send them to you. I'll send them to you hungry. I'll send them to you ready. I just need you to train them, get them ready to lead my people. And so that's been going on for 10 years since I've been here. Well, we're, yeah, we're rolling up on 11 now, 11 years. That's all been there. And here we sit in this topic called revival because I, I felt it's not just a, a Wednesday series. It's why we've changed it up. It's why we've shifted it from just teach the Bible to something that God is doing bigger than just us. And it's to prepare. It's to prepare the room. It's to prepare the, the lights and the chairs and the atmosphere and the hearts and the minds. and the So because if we we would say we, probably the core of, of what we could pull off. If we don't have our mindsets ready, how many of you know once God does something, it takes about one mindset to go, well, we can't take that land, there's giants there. And it just took two, two people or so to go, no, we can. And it took about eight to go, ten to go, no, we can't. 
So you can understand even when God wants to do something profound, the mindsets of the majority can stop it. So we could easily say, well, you know, there's been prophecies and there's going to be cars coming from all over and it's going to be a hospital and this place is going to be a place of healing and we're going to see God do miracles and there's prophetic words spoken and we're going to reap the seeds and all of that preaches good. But in the end, if God's like, yeah, but I'm not going to do anything yet because the mindset of my people. So understand, it's not that the devil's powerful, it's that your mind is. Your thinking and your thoughts about what God wants to do can hinder, I won't say hinder God, it can hinder His timing. So I don't think humans can really hinder God, but you can delay His wanting to do something. So think, think 40 years going in circles. God's still going to give them the land. I'm just going to be patient for y'all to die off because I don't like your attitude. Now my thinking is, I don't want God up in heaven just going, well, I'm just waiting on all of them to die so I can do something. Do you want that to be your testimony? I don't want it to be mine either. I don't want God to say, I'm trying to do something, but Mark won't get out of the way, so I'm just going to wait on that old boy to die, and then I'll do something incredible. So it makes me, myself, leading, Robin and I leading the place to, to think, well, I can have my mind in the way, and you can have your mind in the way. And God's up there going, I'm trying to do something. And, and, you know, we're like, we don't know why. And, well, sometimes the why is the mirror. And so that has led this thinking of revival because I, you know, this is just me. So this isn't God, but me. I do believe in my, my sight. I see this place being a hospital of hope, healing, and the... Whew, and the scripture sitting out in the parking lot, the scripture God gave me in Hosea, I will turn a valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. I remember the day I read it. It was so powerful. I couldn't even talk to the staff. I came in and said, God met with me in the parking lot and I was trying to talk to them because we were having a staff meeting. It wouldn't come out. I, I couldn't talk. 20 minutes, I just cried. I would open the Bible. I'd just sob and cry because what the Lord showed me is this, this man named Hosea marrying this prostitute that nobody wanted. And God said, Mark, I'm going to send a prostitute to you. I'm going to send the people the world doesn't want. I'm going to send the people that are broken and hurting, the people that are running from me, the people that have snubbed their nose at me. I'm going to fill your church up with them. And I'm going to ask something of you. I'm going to ask you to love them like Hosea loved Gomer. And what I want out of you is I want a generation of lost in a valley of despair to come in. And in one of the comments in the church I see is it will be a gateway of hope. Well, guess what? If, if the majority of us in here are hopeless, it's hard to be a gateway of hope. If we come in the door and we're all just hopeless. So, so when I say revival, one of the things that we have to see is there has to come an awakening in us. There has to come something in us. And when somebody comes through the door hopeless, they look at us and go, how did you do this? How did you make it? How, how, did, you, how did your marriage survive? How did you get off drugs? How did you... How did you get over all of the, the anxiety of your life? And so, hence tonight's message, and then we're going to worship this out.
Acts chapter 2 is where, as I was praying about what to share, this dropped in my heart. Let's read it. In the last days, verse 17 of Acts 2, God said, I'll pour out my spirit on who? Now, now what that tells me, if you're breathing, His Spirit's poured out on you. So this thinking that the gifts of the Spirit and the power passed away with the last apostle, hogwash. Otherwise, it would have said, I will pour out my Spirit until John dies on the Isle of Patmos. He said, I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all people. What that tells me is that the Holy Spirit is, is intergenerational and transgenerational meaning every generation the Holy Spirit will have a way to capture them. That means God is never thinking, what am I going to do? He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pour out my Spirit. Every generation will get, a, will get an outpouring of my Spirit. So that tells me that when the Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, on the people that were there, 120 and then a couple of thousand in the streets, but when it says all people... It tells me that everybody that's born somewhere in their life is to have an experience of outpouring. To where they, even though we would say the Spirit's already been poured out, but, but the Spirit is going to be poured out on all people. That means every generation would receive the pouring out. So what does that mean for us? It means just like the 120 were waiting, seeking, in expectation, and the Spirit poured out, my belief is, this is an opinion, but my belief is that every generation will have a remnant of people who are seeking Him to do something. And on those people, He will begin to pour His Spirit so that the generation that they're in begins to know Him. So what we'll say is, are we really seeking His Spirit to be poured out on us? Or are we content to be religious? He says, your sons and daughters, three words, we'll look at them quickly, prophesy visions and dreams. The word prophesy means an idea of foretelling future events. Things that can only be known by divine inspiration. Over the next 10 or 15 minutes, 12 minutes, let me explain some things that may stretch you. I get so tickled at Christians that Christians will believe the horoscope. Christians will believe Ouija boards because I say, ooh, stay away from those. Stay away from Ouija boards. Stay away from horoscopes. Stay away from all that devil stuff. Do you know that the world, people that don't know Jesus, have more expectation of spiritual things than Christians? They'll read a horoscope and go, well, you know, I'm a Pisces and I'm a Taurus and well, you know, and this is what it says. And believe it. They'll go to tarot cards and get palms read because they're expecting an intervention of the spirit world. But you come to Christians, it's like, nah, I don't know if I believe about all God talking to us and all of that. But the reality is, the word your sons and daughters will prophesy, it carried the idea that you would be able to foretell the future. And we've just turned it over to devils. We just like, well, just let the devils tell the future. We just need to sit here and sing church songs. So why are we so comfortable that witches and warlocks and fortune tellers and tarot card readers and all of the little Pisces and signs of the zodiac, 
Why are we comfortable to let the world tell the future when literally God wants to download the wisdom of the Spirit to you to say, I can tell you what's coming. I can talk to you. I know what's coming. I can lead you right when you want to go left because I know what's coming. I can tell you who you should or shouldn't marry because I know what's coming. Just so you know, I'm not making it up. Jesus, in John chapter 16, verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, He'll guide you to truth. He won't speak of His own, but He'll tell you what He's heard. And listen to this. This is mind-altering. He will tell you about the future. He will tell you about the future. And so many times I let Google tell me about my future. I let statistics tell me about my future. I love my mother's testimony. I won't belabor it too long, but when my brother was said to be dying and the doctor said that his brain was going to be in a vegetative state and my mother calls me and my father. We were in Orlando, Florida. We were at a conference and I think Robin and I were there in our room and mom and dad in theirs, and I love her thing. She said that she went before the Lord, and she said this to God. God, you know whether or not my son will live or whether my son will die. I simply need you to tell me what's going to happen to him so I'll know how to pray. And then in that moment, I'm in Orlando. I got a scripture I opened my Bible. I called my mother and said, Mother, God gave me this out of Psalm that his eyes will not sleep the sleep of death. She said God spoke to her that Gary would live and not die, spoke his future, and my mother walks into a son hooked up in a vegetative state in a fetal position and begins to say, the Lord has already shown me His future, even though the doctor was telling her, you need to go home and prepare that He's going to be on a feeding tube His whole life. Thank you, doctor. I'm not against doctors. I appreciate your wisdom. But I serve a God that showed me the future of my son. And God told me that His future is that He would not be this way. And so she did, didn't ignore the doctor. It wasn't like, doctor, you're stupid. He's only doing what he's trained to do. He's giving facts. That's what they're trained to do. He's giving reality. That's what they're trained to do. He's giving statistics of everybody else in this state. That's what they're trained to do. It's not the devil. It's what they're trained to do. But it's high time we get trained that there's a God that knows my future. So God, I just need to know something here. I need to know, is my brother going to live or die? And God said, open up your Bible. And I opened it up and he said, his eyes will not sleep the sleep of death. I called mother and said, don't worry, Gary's going to be okay. She said, God spoke to him. My dad said, God spoke. Me and Robin are agreeing. Do you see, some of us need to start going to the Holy Spirit for our future. Instead of the news and all the bad reports. What is the Holy Spirit saying about your future? Well, my children are just having a hellacious time. Good. That's the fact. But what is the Holy Spirit saying about your children? What's the Holy Spirit saying about your situation? He will show you things to come. Verse 14, it gets even stranger. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever He receives from me. Does that sound like God's trying to hide something from you? Well, what would happen if 
100% of God's people started waking up going, well, the Spirit lives in me. And the Spirit knows what I don't know. And the Spirit knows my future. And the Spirit will tell me things that God knows that I don't know. Why don't I wake up and expect Him to do that? Why don't I expect Him to bring glory to Himself by telling me things? So now this is strange but true. So believe it if you want to. It's just true for me. I cannot tell you how many times in a desperate situation I've said, God, I just need you to tell me. And God's like, oh, okay. I lost a Bible one time, a very dear Bible, lost for over two weeks. Couldn't find it, so frustrated, like, where is it? God only knows where it's at. It's my favorite Bible. And so just in a moment of frustration, God, I know you know where my Bible is. Just tell me. And I'm just thinking, God's like, well, thank you. After two weeks, (laughs) you finally thought to ask me. And immediately, immediately, I saw a picture of where that Bible was. Walked right over to where in the church it was. Looked back right where I saw it. And there was my Bible. Dear Lord in heaven, he brings himself glory by talking to you. Well, if we're going to reach the world, we need a higher power than the world. If the world has tarot cards, we need the Holy Spirit. If the world has fortune tellers, I need somebody in mind that can tell the future. Do you see how the devil's hijacked this? The world has more belief than we do. The world believes the future. If you just want to know whether that's true, just go back to the year 2000 when all the computers were going to blow up and it was the end of the world. And we're all buying cattle up on a hillside. We're all buying generators because it's Y2K. The whole world's going to blow up. I remember calling my dad because I'm a young man. And I'm like, hey, dad, what do you think? You think we need to go buy some cows? You think, I mean, they say the whole world's blowing up. There will be no water. There will be no computers. There'll be no electricity. I've got several pastor friends that are buying cows. They bought generators. They've got land. I know other people that sold houses and moved to the mountains to buy cabins. Dad, what do you think we should do? You know what he said? Well, the Lord hadn't told me to do anything. So I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to keep trusting him. Y2K, January 1st rolled around. I thought, I like a wise man. (laughs) Nothing happened. Nothing went bad. You remember 2013, Mayan calendar, end of the world. The Mayan said it's over. The calendar's end in 2013. There's been nine blood moons in a row. World's coming to an end. Well, by now, I've gotten smart enough. Now I'm just like, okay, God, you know the future. I know what Google says is going to happen with the Mayan calendars. I know what everybody else is saying. But God, why don't you download to me? And you know what I heard? Mark, keep doing what I've called you to do. It's not the end of the world. And I just kept on rolling. So my thought to that is simply this. Would you up your expectation a little bit? and expect more from the Holy Spirit than you do from Google, and expect more from the Holy Spirit than your favorite news channel, and expect more out of the Holy Spirit than all the memes you follow, and believe that the Lord can tell us what's coming. Number two, visions. It's the act of seeing. Nothing deep about it. It's the act of seeing. It's it's an appearance in visible form. It's granted from a dream of heightened consciousness. That word is ecstasy. Just so you understand how the devil hijacks it, it's no different than people that 
take some type of drug to have hallucinations. It's seeing in the spirit world. It's eating a gummy and all of a sudden your soul's leaving your body. It's seeing red goblins all around because you're smoking something you shouldn't smoke. So even the world has given drugs and herbs and different medicines to heighten your conscience, to cause you to go into an altered state. All the devil did is hijack what God wanted to do. Because God said, look, what I want to do is give you visions. I want to take you from what you see in the natural and I want to open it by my spirit. Not because you took a pill or a gummy worm or some kind of shot or smoked something or sniffed something. I want to show you what's in the spirit world via my spirit. I want you to know what you're up against, Mark. You don't need the alcohol. You don't need the drugs, Mark. This is what it says in Exodus. You know the story. It's, it's Moses. An angel appeared to them and he saw in a blazing fire a bush and Moses stared in amazement at this bush that's burning and said, I have to go see it. You know the story. The bush was God speaking to him. I don't know why it caused him to open his eyes to see it, but my opinion is God is trying to do a lot, but we're so distracted we don't have time to go see it. We don't have time to say, hey, let me go check and see this amazing thing. Let me go understand why isn't this bush burning up? Many of God's people are so distracted that God couldn't capture them if He tried. He wants to meet with us. He wants to appear to us. He wants to show us visions. Most of us have visions. Many Christians have visions of tragedy and fear and death and dying and sickness. Just go back to the COVID months when so many people just lost sight of what God wanted the church to do and we huddled in little rooms afraid and scared and closed church and, and yet we want revival. The last one is this, dreams. It's exactly what it would be. But it's not a dream because you ate too much pizza. It's a dream that God is divinely giving suggestions to you. I often quip and joke that the reason God has to speak so often in dreams is because we're too busy to listen. And He waits for us to go to sleep. But here's the thought now, just to stay with me a minute. I'm going to ask Michael to get ready to come and let's worship. But the thinking is, I, I felt today praying over this that the world has more expectation than God's people. And if we want revival, we have to wake up and then if, if God, then prophesy visions and dreams, Lord. And if I lump all that together and I take prophesied dreams and visions, I can sum it up into one thing, that my life has a divine influence on it. My life has a divine expectation on it. I wake up and I expect the spirit world to be involved with me. I expect God's Spirit to be involved with me. I expect that when I need to see, I'll see. Uh, when I need to dream, I'll dream. And the Lord will show me the things to come. Here's just a scripture. You can see it working out. God spared the life of baby Jesus by appearing to Joseph in a dream in Matthew 2. What are you afraid of? What are you nervous about? I've had many conversations about all what's going on in Israel and what's taking place. And, but in reality, are we stopping long enough to go, God, show me the future. Show me 
because the way we've been trained is that's only what a prophet can do or maybe nobody can do that. Or, and yet God, God says, look, Mark, I want to open your eyes. I want to open your mind. I want to open what you see in the natural. And so I wrote this down again, two verses. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. And it's challenged me to say, am I passionately praying those things? Am I passionately saying, God, give me a vision for my marriage. Give me a vision for my work. Show me the future, Lord. Or am I just living with my fingers crossed, hoping I don't die, hoping I don't have a wreck, hoping I don't get sick, hoping my children don't have a tragedy, hope, because I, I never really press in to go, God, you know the future. You, you know all things. And you said you would tell us and talk to us and lead us in truth. And whatever you were hearing up there, you would download down here. And when we begin to pray that, here's what begins to happen. Elisha prayed in 2 Kings 6 and said, Oh Lord, I pray you open his eyes. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes and he began to see in the other world. Paul will say this, it's the same thing, but Paul brings it in the New Testament after Jesus has been resurrected. Paul says it the same way. I'm going to pray a prayer, he says in Ephesians 1.16, and I'm not going to stop praying this prayer but what I'm going to pray is that God would enlighten you. I love the way he puts it. They keep asking God, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. That's the prayer. We want revival, then God enlighten my mind. I wrote this down. I'm going to leave it. And this is where we're going to pray. What is revival? It's the awakening of conscience by divine inspiration via the Holy Spirit empowerment that advances God's kingdom for His glory. I'll read it one more time. Revival is the awakening of conscience. Is your conscience awake? Are you, are you tapped into His power? Are you tapped into His ability? Let me, let me not sound so religious. Are you tapped in to having a relationship with Him to where He knows your future. He knows the wisdom you need. He knows the information you need. He knows everything you need. And He simply says, would you stop long enough and would you get out of yourself long enough to simply say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Talk to me, Father God. I can simply tell you in my life, my experience at a frustrating moment or a scary moment or a health issue or a kid issue, something going on, I don't know if I could define all this in my younger years, but I know that I always ran to him and said, God, you know. Just tell me what you know. Tell me what you see in my girls that I need to see. Tell me what you see in me. Tell me what you see in my marriage. Tell me what you see. So tonight as we pray, I wrote this down as a prayer. It says, Heavenly Father, let your promise remain and pour out your Spirit on all who enter this place. And then this final phrase, for yourself as well, awaken their conscience to your divine wisdom. But before we pray for everybody else, for yourself, is your conscience awake? What level of anxiety do you live under? If you want to know if your conscience is awake, just gauge the amount of anxiety you live under. The amount of fear that 
holds your life. You want to know whether your conscience is awakened to His help. How much frustration do you deal with every day? Is your conscience awakened? Well, how healthy is your marriage? It would be easy to assess the church. Are we good or bad? We could measure how many people come. We could measure how many people got baptized, how, what our offerings were, how many people are in groups. But what if we measured is our conscience awake? Meaning, have I tapped into His resource? Have I tapped into an ability that's outside of me? Have I tapped into a mind that is beyond me? Have I tapped into a wisdom that is beyond me? That's what I have to begin to ask myself. Because that to me is the root of revival. The root of revival is, is my conscience awake? Is my understanding awakened to Him? So Father God, tonight as we come before You as a church, there's a prophetic calling that we're to reap the seeds. Hosea chapter 2, that we are to reap, Father God, the seeds of what's been planted 25 years here. The souls that are new, that don't know You, the, the people that have never met You, they, they don't know who You are, but we do. But yet, God, as we've seen that, that our own mindset can postpone what you would like to do. Your mindset over your marriage can postpone what God wants to do. Your mindset over your health can postpone what God wants to do. Your mindset about your children can postpone what God wants to do. Your mindset about your money can postpone what God wants to do. Your mindset about your life, what you think about yourself, can literally cause God to pause what He wants to do.